0: Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. We all know someone who has been affected by cancer, if not ourselves, certainly somebody in our family or friends, and hearing this diagnosis can be terrifying no matter what type of cancer it is. The emotional impact along with the physical impact can be devastating. But these days, the research into cancer prevention, earlier detection, and early treatment is making a difference not only in survival rates, but also in how we approach the diagnosis from the start. The American Cancer Society, or ACS, has a lot to do with these changes and is the sponsor of birthdays, in particular having a lot of them. Dr. Paul Palale and Dr. Shane Morita are in the studio today. We're going to be talking about cancer, in particular malignant melanoma, and the latest efforts of the American Cancer Society, and what you can do to help. We'll be taking your calls in just a few minutes at 941-3689, toll free from a neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. First in the news, you want to go to Japan without leaving the islands. Well, it's a virtual trip. We're talking about cancer today. And it's a perfect time to mention the American Cancer Society's second annual HOPE Gala that is presenting Midnight in Tokyo. Now, my two guests here are both familiar with this gala event. Dr. Morita was present for the first one last year. I think that was Midnight in Paris. And now we're going to Midnight in Tokyo. Dr. Paul Palale from OnCare Hawaii is here, and you're a member of the American Cancer Society. Tell us a little bit about this exciting event, because it really sounds like it's going to be a wonderful event where people can learn more about how to support American Cancer Society. And also... Pretend they're in Tokyo.
1: Thank you so much for having us. Uh, on behalf of the American Cancer Society board, of which uh, Dr. Marita and I are members, we sincerely thank you guys for this opportunity to come here uh, today and talk about some of these important uh, events. And one of the events is uh, this Hope Gala, which is really catching on uh, steam uh, in our community here. And uh, it's based on a, an exper- experiential type of uh, event where people will be taken to uh, just as if they're in Japan. I mean, all of the entertainment, uh, the music, the foods, and the libations uh, will be uh, Japanese-based. And um, we're looking forward to having a really, really fun time. I uh, Just some details about it. It's going to be on Saturday, May 17th. Um, between 5 to 9 p.m., and the venue is the same place, the Hawaii um, State Art Museum, uh, which I believe last year was where the uh, first gala was held.
0: And that's a really fun place to go. I mean, a lot of folks don't realize how really they have such a great collection there, but also it's just a nice place, I mean, to be downtown and yet, be in a garden atmosphere with fresh air. I mean, how often does that happen? So it's a great venue. Okay, so so that's where it's going to be, Saturday, May 17th, from 5 to 9. You mentioned Japanese theme. What if somebody wants to go? What if they want to participate? How do they do that?
1: There's, there's a couple ways to um, get some information about this. The one thing that I've been directed to tell people is that there is a website called the hopegalahonolulu.org. Website that people can uh, get some information. Um, Also, there's a representative, Arthur Grau, um, who can be contacted at 808 432 9156.
0: Okay, so there's ways that people still want to participate. It sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, not only do you get to pretend you're in Tokyo, even though you haven't left downtown Honolulu, but you also get to be part of such a great cause, American Cancer Society. And your goal is to raise $100,000 in support to hoping to find a cure to cancer. Now, Dr. Morita, last year, it was in Paris. Is that right? Everybody was transformed to France.
2: Absolutely, it was uh, midnight in Paris. Uh, great turnout. Uh, that was our in- inaugural event, and last year was very special because it, it celebrated, you know, the centennial uh, anniversary of the American Cancer Society.
0: So it's been around that long. Absolutely. And so it, they raised the funds that they were hoping to do so.
2: Great turnout. Uh, extremely successful. Insp- inspirational stories. Uh, a real nice evening to interact and mingle with the community.
0: Well, and it sounds like a great opportunity. So, I think,
1: can, can I interject? Sure, real quick. There will be again some of that that kind of um, base where people will be sharing their cancer stories, and for those of us in the cancer community, that's really where the power of um, uh, sharing inspirations, sharing these stories of courage, come from. And that's going to be part of that whole process as well. The honorary. Uh, chair is actually Lieutenant Governor Shan Tsutsui, uh, and uh, we look forward to having him uh, be present as well.
0: Well, and there's nothing that has more influence than when you're going through something like cancer and hearing somebody say, I've walked that walk. I've been in your footsteps, and this is how I got better. And just even for the medical community to hear those stories from people that have really been touched And also from individuals who may have family or friends or themselves have been affected by cancer, just to know that they've had such an impact that somebody's around and can talk more about how this meant so much to them. So It sounds like it's going to be a fantastic event. And again, American Cancer Society, you can't get more uh, medically oriented than that. And certainly it's a great way to help support finding a cure for cancer, which hopefully we'll do. When you look at the statistics, they've really changed over the last couple of years. And and we've done a lot better at early detection and also early uh, early cures. I mean, finding things and ways to really prevent cancer from taking people's lives. Dr. Marita?
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, you, you you brought up an important point. I mean, cancer does touch everyone. <clears throat> Whether you're a health care provider, um, we've all been individually, you know, affected, you know, either by our patients or just our immediate family members. My my father, for exam- example, passed away about 10 years ago from cancer. So it is a, a, a very common uh, entity to deal with.
0: Well, and certainly it's it's something that, you know, it's nice to know that a lot of the efforts that you put into helping take care of these folks, actually, you get to see the results. And that's probably one of the most wonderful parts of your job is to see people when they get better.
1: I want to add also that the American Cancer Society is a global organization. It's 3 million strong in terms of volunteers, completely uh, run, influenced by volunteers. And, you know, the organization really stands for early detection, better therapy, quality of life. And and also prevention, those are huge uh, pillars in terms of the goals of the American Cancer Society. And through those efforts and collaboration with important uh, other organizations in this cancer continuum, Uh, There's been a 20% reduction in cancer death since 1991, and also there's been a 50% drop in uh, usage of tobacco, which is a a huge, huge uh, component in preventing uh, the onset of cancers, not just lung cancers, but all kinds of different cancers, tobacco-related.
0: Well, and that's to the credit of organizations like American Cancer Society. So certainly it's our chance to support them now, too. So if you want more information, if you're somebody who likes to use the phone, you can give a holler to 595-7500 or talk to Arthur Grau at 432-9156. Also, you can visit HopeGalaHonolulu.org, another easy way to get information online. So today we're talking about malignant melanoma, just when you thought it was all about sun exposure, You're wrong on that one. And if you thought a natural tan and complexion could help prevent you from having a risk of melanoma, wrong again. We're going to hear about what are the risk factors for melanoma and what's the latest in some of the treatments. So today, we're going to be talking with Dr. Paul Palale and Dr. Shane Morita about malignant melanoma. Don't get it, but we're going to help you to identify it early. We're going to talk about what these tumors look like, and we're also going to talk about how you can get treated and what the latest is in therapy. If you or someone you love has had malignant melanoma, you can give us a holler at 941 3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Let's talk about melanoma. Dr. Paul, signs and symptoms of melanoma. So so who gets this and what sort of things should they be looking out for?
1: I think one of the important messages is that really anybody can get this. No one ethnic group uh, can be Uh, immune from this diagnosis. And even in in the population here in Hawaii, in our community, even with the darker, complected um, ethnic groups, um, they are still at risk uh, in terms of that. Um, Dr. Morita, as a surgeon, uh, certainly can see these patients up front when they're presenting, but it's usually a skin lesion uh, that... uh, doesn't go away, and that skin lesion can occur anywhere in the body. It can occur even in mucous membranes, so meaning you know in the mouth, in the uh, anal canal. Um, uh, these these uh, areas are all susceptible to uh, melanoma. It's typically a festering lesion that uh, will grow, that sometimes uh, will uh, ulcerate and bleed and become irritated. Um, There are the A, B, C, Ds of the um, uh, detection. Maybe, Shane, you can talk a little bit about uh, some of those uh, four, you know, different uh, clues, uh, signs and symptoms.
0: Well, let's talk about those because, you know, I've got a bunch of moles and I'm happy that... Maybe I'm not happy, but I am happy that I don't spend that much time in the sun, usually working a lot or here in the studio. But tell me about my ABCDs because that's, you know, somebody might be looking at a mole on their skin and go, how do I know? I mean, now you said it could be just about anywhere. If I have a mole in my face or a mole in my back, what, what would it look like if I should be concerned? So,
2: you know, we're looking for the ACDs, uh asymmetry, an irregular border, color variation, different changes, some parts a little lighter than other parts, uh, a diameter greater than 6 millimeters, which is about a pencil eraser, and any th- E is the evolution. Any any changes, so please go and see your uh, doctor and, and get a comprehensive exam. And I think what Dr. Pauli said also is very important. It's not only the skin. So melanoma can arise even with, within the eye called ocular melanoma, anywhere that you can have pigment, so the eye, uh, the, some, some of the other parts that you mentioned, mucous membranes, anal canal, all that is possible with melanoma.
0: So you've seen melanoma anywhere in the body? Absolutely. When you are diagnosed with melanoma, this may be something that occurs. You see your doctor, you see a dermatologist. They go ahead and they, they do a biopsy of a lesion or of something that they see that they're concerned about. They use this this term, which is really important when we're talking about skin lesions. But a lot of times people may not know what it means, and it's called clear margins. If you're going to go take a piece of something off of the skin and have that evaluated and looked at under a microscope, what does that mean and how important is it?
1: So perhaps uh, Shane can interject, but the margin status in, in general is the area of the incision that's marked. When the surgeon goes in, removes a a section of the tumor, and what they're looking for is microscopic evidence of any cancer cells that may approach the margin. So you can have a margin that's positive where the edge of the specimen um, has uh, tumor cells, uh, or you can have close margins as well. So
0: So what you try and do is take out the area of concern, and take it all out within a certain margin of error, literally at the margins. Is that kind of what you have to do?
2: You want, For purposes of melanoma of the skin, absolutely. You want to be able to get the normal tissue around, not only the cancer cells, but the normal tissue. And remember, with melanoma, it's all about the thickness. So it's not only the periphery that's Mm -hmm. important, but it's also the, the depth. We also want to know if the melanoma has spread to other parts of the body. And typically, the first site is the lymph node basin, and that's why it's very important of a, a physical examination and also incorporating surgery to determine whether or not it's spread to uh, the lymph nodes.
0: So how do you know if it's spread? What are some of the things that you can do to determine if this has become more advanced or if it's just stayed in the skin?
2: Well, for example, a physical examination, let's say someone had a lesion on their thigh, we would definitely focus on the groin because that's the first site of the nodal drainage, per se, of that that area of the thigh. So we'd look and feel for any type of nodularity there. Um, Also, sometimes it's difficult to detect it on a regular physical examination, so we do what's called a sentinel node biopsy. And and what that is is at the time of all surgery, removing the primary lesion would also determine whether or not they're spread to a lymph node by taking out one or two selective lymph nodes and have it microstage where it's it's looked upon at a very molecular and microscopic level, looking for any any uh, signs of melanoma within that lymph node.
0: So the idea is that if you if you're diagnosed with melanoma and you have it taken out. You want to find out if it's spread to any lymph nodes because that would put you in a different staging of the melanoma and could have different long-term effects as far as treatment.
2: Correct. Not every melanoma needs to have the uh, patient with melanoma needs to have their lymph node, but uh, assessed by an operation. Typically, if the lesion is at least one millimeter in thickness, however, that's the recommendations. Or if there's any adverse features such as ulceration, which is, uh, can be seen in melanoma.
0: So you first see if you have it. Then you, if you have it removed, you check to make sure that it's not... If You check depth of invasion. You mentioned how deep it is. Also make sure you got it all from the skin area. And then depending on how the other features are, whether or not it looks really funny under the microscope or not, you might actually take a look and see what the lymph node status would be. So now where does melanoma spread? Because melanoma has some interesting places where it likes to go, kind of hidden places, in addition to the lymph nodes we talked about. So if someone is diagnosed with malignant melanoma, and they've had their particular melanoma on the skin removed, and they did have a positive lymph node, where else might it be hiding out? Dr. Paul?
1: Melanoma can occur anywhere in the body. It's one of those diseases where uh, you get a healthy respect for its ability to travel across uh blood brain barriers and, and different things that usually contain tumors so uh we're talking about the lungs the liver uh the bone uh and uh also the brain that's that's a big you know your central nervous system is is one of those areas that's quite susceptible uh to um, uh, blood borne uh, spread of melanoma and that's why i think Uh, going, you know, at the outset, um, surgically staging these patients with what Dr. Morita was talking about, the um, sentinel node, and really getting an idea in terms of the depth of the invasion, you know, what they call the Breslow thickness, which is a, for us in the uh, oncology community, that, that means a lot to us because the actual values can speak volumes in terms of risk. Um so we will really look at all of those uh, issues and continue to uh, follow them. So I think that staging someone at the outset of a diagnosis is important to, as well.
0: And if it has spread it goes to it's one of those particular tumors that can go to the brain. Not every tumor does, but this one in particular can, in addition to other areas of the body.
1: Yes. I also wanted to say that there was one, you know, we're doing a lot of solid organ transplants here. And and sometimes the the blood transplants as well, but people are on immunosuppressants, and and one of the things that we're seeing is that when people are chronically immunosuppressed, there is this issue of risk for cancer and dermatological or skin cancers, uh, including melanoma, uh, are part of that mix. So I think you know looking at uh, the group that that should be. Uh, Cognizant of the the possibility of skin cancers, including melanoma, that would be one demographic I would include those uh, those patients that are out there in the community on uh, immunosuppressive for uh, things like agents. kidney
0: transplants or liver transplants or some other type of either solid organ transplant or even if they're on immunosuppressants. Bone marrow transplant, I guess, would also be one of those exactly. sorts of situations. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Shane Morita, and he is at Queens and also a professor at the medical school, in addition to Dr. Paul Palale from OnCare Hawaii. And we are talking about malignant melanoma. When we come back, we will be talking some more about the latest in treatment, which has changed even in the last couple of years and is exciting in, in, in a way that hopefully will be... Able to help people get a cure. So you can join our conversation at 941 3689. Toll free from the neighbor islands, 877 941 3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us.
3: It's one of Mozart's last known compositions, the Requiem Mass in D minor, with some parts completed by another composer. It's a challenging work for the University of Hawaii Symphony Orchestra and Concert Choir, and we'll get a preview from the conductor tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation.
1: I grew up really dying to eat
3: the McDonald's hamburger. The McDonald's hamburger was this sort of aerodynamic, um,
1: streamlined, beautiful, beautiful piece of food.
4: Gary Steingart becomes an American. This week on Selected Shorts from PRI, Public Radio International.
5: Tuesday at 5 p.m. following Travel with Rick Steves.
0: Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with my friends, Dr. Shane Morita. He is a cancer surgeon who specializes in melanoma, and also Dr. Paul Palale, and he is from OnCare Hawaii, both proud members of the American Cancer Society. Their gala is coming up soon on May 17th. And for more information on that, which sounds exciting, you can go to Hope. HopeGalaHonolulu.org. That's HopeGalaHonolulu.org. You can call us as well. We're here talking about malignant melanoma at 941-3689. Total Free Neighbor Islands, 877-941-3689. Before the break, we were talking about how do you figure out where the cancer has spread, and is that an important thing to do? Now, certainly, once you're diagnosed, that's critical, but let's talk with a couple of callers because we also want to talk about whether or not sun exposure has a lot to do with it because we think it does, but in some cases, it may not even be sun-related. So let's first talk with David from Waimanalo. David, welcome to The Body Show.
6: Hey, well, sun had a lot to do with mine.
0: Uh-oh. I was
6: born and raised in Inglewood, Hawthorne, California, and which meant every summer going to the beach the first two weeks burn and peel and then go you know right back out and get tan again and and so by the time i was in my 20s i had 10,000 freckles all over my back and and um, about 1991 i noticed there was these two really big freckles right above my shoulder blade on my right side on my back and we went to go see the doctor he goes just keep an eye on it check it all the time because you never know and he says but they do have the the color and uh, you know the potential to become something they're nothing now they're two freckles and slowly they merged they kept getting bigger And that was a sign, too. He says, well, if if it's growing and you can see it, you know, over a period of a year or so, then you know there's, you know, there's activity going on. It might not be melanoma, but it's something. So just keep an eye on it. And finally, one day I was washing my shoulder and I felt and I could feel this little slight ridge and I go. Hmm, I don't remember that. So well, I went to go see Dr. Huntley, who immediately sent me to Dr. Adania over here on the windward side. <clears throat> and I said, "Okay, tomorrow <laughs> we'll see your castle, and uh, we're going to biopsy it." And then and then he looked at it again. He goes, "You know what? It's it's about the size of a silver dollar, and because it was between." The lymph node in the armpit and the lymph node in the neck, he says, You know what i'm don't feel comfortable with just taking a portion of it we 're going to take the whole thing out, and then we 'll send it to biopsy and about A year before i had gotten a a tattoo a nice dragon ocean water dragon tattoo on my back and the tail went right up by there and uh as he's scooping it out because i did the local so i wouldn't have to spend the night there he goes oh david I'm, i'm gonna have to cut the tail of your dragon off when i take this uh this this you know melanoma to biopsy and i told him hey you can have the whole dragon if you make sure the melanoma doesn't come back
0: you got it david so what happened you were diagnosed and were you treated
6: yep and i've gone to see huntley every six months ever since then and nothing i have i have psoriasis so i have psoriatic arthritis and and other stuff but i'm adopted so there was no history of you know any any the traditional
0: well david you brought up some really good points and what you brought up first of all is that you noticed something you monitored it you waited to see if it was going to grow it started to change you got it checked out when you went to your doctor you were more than happy to have them do whatever they needed to do to take it off that's fantastic you're talking about the story that we hear a lot of times and Thanks for sharing that, because it sounds like you've really watched out, and every six months you get checked out, and it's been years since your diagnosis. So what a great story. You know, you brought up all the things that we talk about. It was funny, asymmetrical, it was growing, it was multicolored. It had irregular borders, all those things that we were discussing. So good job in getting that checked out. I'm sorry you lost the tail of your dragon, but, you know, you gained back your life. So fantastic work.
1: Kathleen, I think his story is really um, important because he also talked about some events that occurred uh, and part of his history. He spent a lot of time in the sun. He had freckles. He had some sunburns uh, growing up, uh, you know, with the exposure to the sun. I mean, those are predisposing uh, factors, especially in a lighter skin uh, complected individual now I certainly don't know what what David was, but uh, in, you know certainly those kinds of factors I, I think would would really uh, play into uh, a risk and, and and stratification when you're evaluating these patients
0: well, and it's hard because fifty years ago who heard the word sunscreen? I mean, it just wasn't something that we focused on. So when a lot of folks were younger, their sun exposure during those formative years was go out and play as much as you want. And go burn first, and then you'll tan for the rest of the summer. And, you know, even that one or two severe sunburns can be a risk, and that's not something you want to go through. So if you're out there and you want to go play in the sun, I'll tell you, often I'll go to Waikiki and I'll look at some folks and be like, Wow, they forgot their sunscreen. They are beet red. And you just, you know... It's one of those things. I've actually gone up to somebody before and said, that lesion on your back looks really funny. And I don't mean to bum out your vacation, but go get it checked out. Because, you know, there are some people who just can't see their back. David could. At least he looked at it. He noticed it. But you're right. There are some definite risk factors. And although it's not always sun-related, when it is, you have to be careful. And certain groups really have to watch out for that.
1: This might be a good segue also. the Our legislature just passed a bill. Um prohibiting minors from um, suntanning booths. And, and there is some data, uh, certainly uh, Dr. Marita can expand on that as well, but there is data that the UV radiation from suntanning booths uh, can uh, be uh, carcinogenic and uh, can predispose to melanoma. So I believe that's a really important uh, a step in the right direction for the legislature in terms of making that kind of uh, uh, prohi- prohibition you know for uh, minors
0: and it's just not worth it to go get a tan for the prom or for graduation or for some event you know you feel like it makes you look better but reality is 20 30 years later you're going to be wishing you didn't do it all right we've got a couple more callers we've got curtis from waikiki curtis welcome to the body show
7: Yes, I understand a malignant melanoma is a cancer that starts on the body's biggest organ, the skin, and has a characteristic that it's aggressive and can go into other body tissue.
0: You understand a lot, Curtis. Good work.
7: Well, I'd like to know then, if you don't want treatment, what is the independent living hospice and hospital treatment where you're treated the least and brought to your death the most patiently and quietly? How does that work, especially if you might be in hollering pain?
0: So, what you're asking about, Curtis, is if you were diagnosed with malignant melanoma,
7: get a grave diagnosis that is advanced to very serious, advanced, stage in
0: serious body. case. Is there a role for hospice? Is that what you're asking?
7: How does a person live independently with nursing at home, or if they have to go into hospice, how can you live in hollering pain? How can you be brought to your death without? I don't want any procedures.
0: Well, Curtis, you bring up an important point, and what that point is is the purpose of hospice, which is to help you to continue with your independent living – but also to not be in pain. And that's one of their main goals and objectives is to make sure that you're comfortable. And so one of the things that they'll work with you on is determining what would be an appropriate way to treat the pain that you have and do so in such a way that you can continue to go about living as independently as possible for as long as possible. The yeah. only
7: pain uh, remedy that I see as valid is mesmerization, maybe by interfacing with a computer interactive game or something. Other than that, I don't want the ups and downs of, let's say, opioids, and I don't want the damage from, like, ibuprofen or acetaminophen into my tissue.
0: Very true, you know, and certainly the idea for you is that you need to find out what works best for you. And the best news about hospice, and I've had several of the different hospice groups on the show, and I've worked with them extensively through my office. Can is the good
7: that, doctor recommend an advanced medical directive for a person that might be similarly interested like me?
0: Well, an, a medical directive is something that you decide on to say whether or not you want treatment under extenuating circumstances.
7: Do they have any good examples to follow?
0: Well, if you've decided that you want to enroll in hospice, then by definition what you want to do is you don't want to go through aggressive treatments. You don't want to have things done that you're not in agreement with, such as doing some of the medication treatments with chemotherapy or being kept alive on machines or having other sort of treatments provided. So the first thing I would suggest for you, Curtis, is that you get a PULST. A PULST is something called a Physician's Order for Life-Sustaining Treatment. And on that form, you can designate what your wishes are, in particular, that you don't want life-sustaining treatment. The next thing you want to do is you want to talk with your doctor about hospice because hospice can help you and can find ways, whether it be gaming through the computer or some other sort of a treatment that you do well with that reduces your pain and discomfort. And in doing so, it does not have to mean medication. They will work with you to figure out what works best for you. And the next thing to do is really have an honest discussion with your loved ones. Let them know what it is that your priorities are in life and make sure that what you want to do is in line with what you're saying to hospice and you're expressing to your family. And then you can all work together to make things as peaceful for you as possible. So I appreciate you calling in and telling us your wishes because sometimes we talk about all these treatments and sometimes people aren't always interested in the latest treatment if they don't feel as though it's going to help them. So that is always an option. Dr. Paul, I'm sure that you deal with people who go to hospice who might not have treatment that's available to them or maybe the treatment doesn't have statistics that makes them feel they want to do it. And hospice is a really important part of that.
1: I'd love to comment on that. You know, the uh, partnership between a healthcare provider and a patient is a truly collaborative relationship. And and uh, we respect what people want to do in terms of their health, their life, and what they choose to uh, expose themselves to and subject themselves to. So um, I have been completely impressed by Hawaii's, the state of Hawaii, and, and particularly in Honolulu, Uh, the development of uh, hospice programs, supportive care programs. And in Honolulu uh, alone, we have three to four tremendous hospice organizations that are all working for the same uh, end, really, which is to relieve suffering and to help people, especially those who have decided not to pursue uh, continued um, disease uh, addressing therapy. So, Um, There are a lot of different organizations out there that can help a patient like uh, our caller.
0: Well, and that's, again, I think the people who work at hospice are like angels, really. They do such a wonderful job, and they definitely try to help people through all of the stages of dealing with whatever their disease is, whatever their illness is, and to help them in such a supportive and comfortable way so i hope that helps you curtis and i'm I'm certainly wishing you the best we've got another caller on the line we have barbara from honolulu barbara welcome to the body show
4: yes hello i had a question when the gentleman called earlier about the freckles on his back that were getting larger and whether it was freckles or a mole. is it ever appropriate to do something preventative in other words Would, by taking something off ahead of time, before it becomes malignant, would that area still become malignant? I mean, is that ever an appropriate action, uh, take
0: something off? Great question, Barbara. Dr. Shane, Marita, you do cancer surgery all the time, and I'm sure that sometimes when you take something off, it may not be, cancerous might be precancerous, and is that a good idea?
2: Sure, I think you know what's most important is having a comprehensive examination by your physician, whether it be a dermatologist or other healthcare provider. Um, there is a component called pre-invasive melanoma, called melanoma in situ, where it hasn't technically bro- broken away out of its you know, out of its sort of um, periphery or 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 membrane, if you will. But if you can detect it early, that sort of aborts that. Particular lesion from turning into invasive melanoma, so I think definitely um, any suspect suspicious lesions going in, getting a comprehensive examination because it probably may, is not the only lesion that's that's uh, suspicious or borderline, what have you.
1: Skin cancers are really the most commonly diagnosed cancer. And uh, this brings up a good point. I mean, somebody that falls into these kinds of risk categories, high sun exposure, living in high altitude, maybe even a family history, um, it would be in their best interest to uh, seek a relationship with a healthcare provider that is able to do a comprehensive skin exam uh, or even get referred to a dermatologist who can por- perform that. I mean, we've been talking a lot about melanoma. Um, it's, it's a really deadly uh, skin cancer. It's the cause of majority of deaths related to skin cancer. But let's not forget that there's basal cancers and squamous cancers uh, that uh, are uh, represent really the majority of skin cancers that get diagnosed.
0: And prevention is always good. And if you think there's a funny lesion you can have it taken off that's you know you you brought that up Barbara and I think our first caller David had mentioned that this was way back in the late 80s early 90s that he noticed these moles and they were being monitored and so you're right had he taken them off earlier could it have made a difference possibly but luckily for him he was treated successfully and now he's monitoring and the reason he's doing that monitoring every six months is to see if there's something that looks a little funny take it off before it turns into something even more serious so great question. Barbara, and and really being proactive is always a good idea when it comes to preventing something that you can physically see like a lesion on your skin. So great, great idea. All right, we've got another caller on the line. We've got Mike from Kahului. Mike, welcome to The Body Show.
3: Um, the reason I was calling is uh, people constantly recommend uh, sunscreen, sunscreen, sunscreen to avoid you know, skin cancer, but they neglect to mention the extremely deleterious effect that the sunscreen has on the coral reefs and and the beaches. I, this, the reason the sand is sticky is because of all of the sunscreen. people slather all over themselves. The best advice I can give to people regarding sun exposure is don't go there. Go out there early in the morning or late in the afternoon when your risk of of burning is much less. And then otherwise, cover up. Only an idiot or somebody that really has to goes out in the middle of the day in the bright sun. That's my opinion. That's my remark. And I'll get off the air and let you guys discuss that. Thank you.
0: Mike, you know, you and I think alike in a a Bit of funny ways. My husband always says to me, "Why do you want to go to the beach when it's cloudy and raining?" And I'm like, "Well, because it's going to be. I'm going to get great parking. Nobody else is going to be there. And when it's cloudy and raining, I don't have to go ahead and slather on SPF 100." Now, yes, there's still a role for sunscreen, but I agree that certainly we have to look at the effect of sunscreen on the environment, and hopefully we'll be able to take a closer look at that. These days, the sunscreens are different than they were 20 or 30 years ago, and they're they're not. Not as toxic to the environment as potentially somewhere that were previously being used quite a bit. But it's a good point, you know, cover up. And that's that's a real simple thing to do. And a lot of times we forget and we see people who forget and they go out in the sun. And it's one of those things. As much as I'm happy that I work hard and I'm indoors during the usual peak sun hours, that's also protecting my skin because... I'm indoors. So good thoughts, Mike. You and I seem to think alike on, the, alike on this one. And prevention is always something that people can look at. Kathleen,
1: there, there's a um, thing from the American Cancer Society. They, they talk about slip, slop, slap, and wrap. So, basically, you got to explain this one. Okay. <laughs> uh, slip on a shirt, slop on sunscreen, slap on a hat, and wrap on sunglasses to protect the eyes and skin around them.
0: All right. So that's another way that people can do that, Mike. So you're kind of listening to some other folks agreeing with you over there in Kahului. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Shane Morita and Dr. Paul Palale. We are talking about malignant melanoma. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the type you get not related to the sun. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us.
7: After decades of wandering in Mexico, Carl Franz has a word of advice. Don't try to pin everything down. Mexico doesn't pin down easily. And Jonathan Gruber primes us for this year's big Eurovision contest in Denmark. It is kitsch in every
4: imaginable way. The people look kitsch. The dancing is kitsch. The song
7: is kitsch. It's all quite mad. Life's a fiesta on Travel with Rick Steves.
5: Tuesday at four p.m. following Fresh Air.
1: I'm Bert Lom and I'm Randall Zahn. Next time on Bite Marks Cafe, we'll get an update on technology initiatives on Hawaii Island. We'll learn about the GVS Transmedia Accelerator and Hawaii Tech Works and how they're growing the tech industry. That's next time on Bite Marks Cafe. Wednesday at five.
0: Aloha, welcome back to the Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Shane Morita and Dr. Paul Palole. We are talking about malignant melanoma today they're both from the american cancer society and also practicing here in honolulu dr marita at queens and also a professor at the medical school and dr paul he's at OnCare hawaii we're hearing from some folks today about either having melanoma or how to protect against it or do something simple cover-up, stay out of the sun, and we'd like to hear from you, too. If you had a question, we're going to talk some more about the type of skin cancer not related to the sun, which is something that is also out there and we need to keep an eye out for. And you can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Before we talk about the non-sun melanoma, let's talk quick with Jock from the North Shore. Jock, welcome to The Body Show.
5: Hi, Dr. Cosette.
0: Hello there. How are you doing?
5: Uh, fine. I'm a roofer and a surfer and have been here in Hawaii for over 50 years. And uh, I've been going to a dermatologist for about 30 years. And I've been lucky so far just to have some uh, basal on squamous cell uh, carcinomas. But uh, I would like to say uh, one or two things. Um, first thing about Mike and Kyle, he's right about you know, the potential for pollution in the water. But also a lot of people uh, ignore the fact that there's some uh, sunscreens that are actually... Um, almost do more harm for you than good. But in my dermatologist's office, there's a chart that says if you have zinc oxide in there, and some of them have like 15 or 20 percent, and that is kind of the sunscreen that you want. But the main question I wanted to ask you, doctors, was um, I think that there's a, a good potential for a dietary assistance. Like a lot of um, Western people eat a lot of too much red meat and dairy, and, and so, that, that could definitely contribute, and you know, a vegetarian diet could, could help out. But say uh, people in India have a low rate of, of cancers that you hear. That's maybe because of their low meat intake, but also some of the uh, herbs and spices that they take, uh, specifically stuff like our curcumin or turmeric. And I was wondering if you, know, uh, you doctors had an opinion of, about um, the efficacy of that kind of uh, uh,
0: taking of, of the herbs. It's a great question, Jock, and here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to let them both respond in a sec. Guess what we're talking about next week on the show.
5: Yeah, what's that?
0: Vegetarianism.
5: There
0: you go. So we're going to talk about it from the medical perspective and if there are any medical statistics to show that it's going to be a healthier diet to follow. And so, yeah. you know, I know you're going to be a listener up there in the North Shore because we are going to be talking about the medical rationale, the pluses and minuses of being a vegetarian. So you mentioned the red meat and you mentioned the dairy and so you are going to be loving next week. But that's, that's one of the issues that you were discussing. Let's talk with Dr. Paul and Dr. Shane. Dietary influences Regarding rates of cancer, particularly melanoma.
1: I don't know, um, Jock, I don't know if I can you know comment specifically on the relationship with skin cancer, uh, but before the program started, we were talking about how environmental choices and di- diet can um, affect one's health. And uh, I pointed out that there was this uh, China study that was conducted uh previously and it's already been published in a um uh a bound um, uh, book you can get it at the library but the china study was intriguing because they correlated areas in china regions in china that uh specifically uh had a plant-based uh, type of diet and compared it to urban areas in china where their diets were more Uh, akin to the Western diet with a little bit more uh, rich uh, uh, foods, fatty foods, uh, Mm -hmm. meat. And, you know, they correlated uh, a positive effect, meaning a reduced amount of coronary disease, a reduced amount of cancers, a reduced amount of uh, strokes, a uh, reduced amount of diabetes in, in the groups that are uh, uh, addressing or uh, consuming uh, plant-based diets. So I think there's a big uh, push, and I, I love the fact that there's going to be a discussion about that in the coming week, uh, specifically about uh, its relationship to uh, cutaneous uh, disorders. I, I, I don't know if I can comment on that um specifically what about you Dr Marita
2: no there's no um dietary substance per se that will you know avert your avoid your chance of getting a melanoma that i'm aware of um you know some of the more common cancers that are linked with diet would be breast cancer uh, but even colorectal cancer with you know increased red meat so those are the ones that have been really extensively studied but not for melanoma
0: all right well it's a great idea and certainly something that we can look more into medically, but no direct link that we know of just yet. But thank, great idea, and thanks for calling and bringing that up, and I know you're going to be listening next week. All right, we've got quite a few more callers. We've got Thomas from Mililani. Thomas, welcome Hi. to The Body Show.
5: Hi, thank you for taking my call.
0: Thanks uh, for calling. I just
5: tuned in. I don't know if this question was answered before, but I think the previous caller kind of mentioned it. Uh, are there studies showing that continued use of sunscreen can cause cancer? I know I read somewhere that titanium dioxide, which is used in some sunscreens, can be carcinogenic. And I've been since using sunscreen on my face every day. So uh, I don't know what you guys have to say about that.
0: A great question, Thomas. One of the things that our last caller mentioned is zinc oxide, which is actually good as a barrier protection for sunscreen, uh, which is one of the ingredients that you want to look at. Um, as far as sunscreen being associated with cancer, I think that's sort of a catch twenty two in a way. Dr. Paul, have you heard of that? I know that there are some some studies that are looking at uh, endocrine effects, actually, of avobenzone and some of the other sorts of ingredients in some of the sunscreens that that I like to use. Um, But certainly, any thoughts or anything that you've heard of about
1: that association? Certainly nothing that's come up that's been very, very strong uh, in terms of uh, published, peer-reviewed article. Again, I'm not aware of it. I I think, you know, just the thought that continued exposures to chemicals can uh, affect the body and the function of the body is important. I, I think this is a story that continues to play itself out.
0: Kind of makes me think about Mike from Kahului who said just get a hat, you know, and you mentioned earlier not going out in the sun. So good question, and we don't have an answer for you, but hopefully we will get an answer at some point in, in life, and that answer will be no. I mean, I don't want there to be an association. I use the sunscreen just like you do, and so, you know, I don't want there to be a problem because, you know, we apply it every day. So nothing just yet, but let's hope there isn't in the future. All right, thanks for calling us, Thomas. And it was a great question. We've got Vicky on the line from Makiki. Vicky, welcome to the Body Show. Thank you for taking my call.
4: I was—I um, wanted to know from the doctors. I was diagnosed with melanoma on the iris of my eye five years ago, and when I went to have the surgery on the mainland, the doctor there told me that I had had it for five to eight years. It probably developed from a freckle that I had in my eye, and my question is. Um, do you know or is it possible to know what the reoccurrence rate is for the melanoma to show up somewhere else on the body later?
0: Great question, Vicki. I'm so sorry you had it in the eye.
2: So, Vicky, if I could add, this is Dr. Morita. Did they say it was an ocular melanoma or was it that involved the skin per se? That's what I'm trying to get an idea because there's a difference between cutaneous melanoma affecting the skin or ocular melanoma. Arcular melanoma tends to be overall much more aggressive than cutaneous uh, melanoma.
4: I wish I could tell you the answer to that. I don't know. Um, You know, they had to remove a large portion of my iris, which kept my, uh, uh, which means I have a a large area of my pupil exposed. I I didn't have to do any treatment. Okay.
2: Yeah, I mean, if it's, you you know, if it's, it's. For ocular melanoma, sometimes they'll do what's called enucleate or just remove the globe, Mm -hmm. the eye itself. But, you know, one needs to be followed. And something that can be done is even what's called a PET scan, which is uh, essentially a study, a very fancy x-ray that looks for any uptake of glucose because melanoma, like many other cancers, like to metabolize glucose and sugar. So that may be something that, you know, you can – that can be looked upon. The fact that you're um, alive and well, you know, you know this this long is is very, uh, very good. Because again, if it was an ocular melanoma, tend to be extremely aggressive, can spread to the lungs Mm -hmm. and and uh, liver.
1: So right, I still go
4: for checkups um, every six months, and I have to do the blood tests, uh, checking for the enzymes.
1: You're right, um, Vicky. That, that sounds like they're they're checking enzymes, your liver enzymes, probably. That that's yeah, in, uh, a site of metastases. Uh, metastasis that's very common in ocular melanomas. But uh, in general, uh, those kinds of conditions are surgically or a localized therapy, typically.
0: All right, Vicky. So we wish you the best. And next time you go for your checkup, you're going to find out exactly the melanoma, ocular or skin-related. And I bet once you do that, you'll have a better way to figure out prognoses for recurrence. But thanks for sharing that, because we wanted to talk a little bit about melanoma that may or may not be sun-related. And I have a feeling we have so many callers, gentlemen, we're going to have to have you back, because we've got Hal from Kahalui on the phone, (laughs) and he's got a question. Hal, welcome to The Body Show.
8: Thank you, Doctor. (coughs) My question is... Well, I'm accused of wearing a uh, gardener's uh, hat all the time, a large brimmed straw hat, long sleeves, and shorts, you know. And uh, I won't have to tell you my uh, my race or anything. You can guess from that. But instead of running the doctor kind of crazy all the time about, I see a spot on my arm or my hands. I'm 69, and I have, I have heard about uh, age spots or liver spots or whatever they're actually called. Is there any way to screen that out personally and not get excited about a mark you see uh, on your hand or arm?
0: Great that may question. Be one or the other. All right, Hal, let's go ahead and let's review briefly with Dr. Marita the ABCDs.
2: Sure. So okay. A right, a, a is asymmetry, B is an irregular border, C is any color changes, color variegation, D is a diameter greater than 6 millimeters, which is a... Uh, diameter of a a pencil eraser, and E is evolution, so any change. So the other thing I wanted to say is not all melanoma are pigmented. Some could be what's called amelanotic, so they could even be flesh-colored pink, if you will. So it's very important that one not only key on the color, and that it can be any sort of change. So, it's Well, now important. you've
0: scared me. Now it could just be regular-looking skin?
2: Absolutely. I mean, it, 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 there's different subtypes of melanoma, desmoplastic, spindle cell. We can go on forever, but we only have eight minutes. Um, but it's very important, again, to not be comfortable if one only s- sees a lesion that is not pigmented and say, oh, no, it's not melanoma because it's it's not pigmented. It's not dark. It's not black. So changes are very important.
1: Hal, uh, you've got to make sure also, I mean, that there are a lot of parts of your skin that you're not going to be able to look at. So you need to have somebody looking at those areas as well. It sounds like you're in the sun, you know, quite a bit. You know, the other issue for other patients is that looking at the uh, palms of the um, hands and soles of the feet are incredibly important as well.
0: I'll see you at the dermatologist, Hal, because now I'm freaked out and I'm going to go too all the time. I guess one of the things is you go often enough that you start to feel comfortable with what's normal for you and what's not normal. And you'll be able to see some changes, have somebody take a look at your back or other non-visible areas, get a good mirror that you can look at yourself. So I would say, don't worry, go as many times as you need to, to be reassured. And then once everything's normal for a few visits, you'll feel more comfortable. But great question, and thanks for scaring me, Dr. Marita, a flesh-colored melanoma. All right, we've got another caller. We've got Sherman from Waimea. Sherman, we have time for a quick question. What can we do for you? Hi. Hi, Sherman. What can we do for you today?
8: Well, I, I would want to recommend photography. I, I grew up here. I had Tans that were so dark that my my pediatrician photographed me because she'd never seen someone with my complexion and hair color have the tan that dark. I've had four melanomas over the span of 30 years, and I've been fortunate enough to see the same dermatologist for 30 years, a dermatologist with a near photographic memory. But the best tool we have is she sent me to be photographed, and this was so long ago It was film, using color filters that exaggerated all moles, spots, dots on my skin.
0: Great idea, Sherman. We
8: we still use that as a reference. I go back. Actually, this was, uh, was treated at Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. And I now go back. I used to go back more often, but I go back twice a year, and I take this binder of photos with me. And the dermatologist, first without the binder, looks me over and then double-checks herself against this book of photographs. And uh, that was how, you know, the most recent, a stage three melanoma was discovered. And it was tiny and it was atypical, but the photographs showed that it wasn't there previously.
0: All right, Chairman. what a great idea. Photograph Now, not just any, although you could take your own little selfie picture of your mole, but make sure you have some kind of measurement next to it with a ruler or something. And what a great idea to go ahead and do medical photography. It's something that we really didn't talk about so much. So excellent, excellent suggestion. I want to get to time for our last caller, Lisa from Kaneohe. Lisa, we have just a couple of minutes. What can we do for you? Hi.
4: Um, I had melanoma um, in 2004, and I, um, it was a, about a 2A, and I haven't
0: had any problems since, am I cured? Great question. Okay, 2A. Dr. Paul?
1: How long ago was your diagnosis?
0: 2004, 10 years ago.
1: You know, again, that that's a long uh, period of being disease-free, and I would anticipate that the um, uh, possibility of a recurrence would be very low at this point. I mean, Shane, what, what would you say? Yeah,
2: I would say that, you know, there, I, I'm going to give you a, um, a website, and okay. um, I want you to go look at this. It's org. You can actually punch in the location of where the melanoma was, your gender, um, but more importantly, the Breslow thickness, those type of characteristics of the melanoma itself, even... Um, characteristics such as ulceration, all that is important. They'll actually give you a curve, a ballpark curve. Now, not to scare you, but melanoma is one of the few cancers that can occur um, even after long disease-free after 10 years. So, um, you know, I I sort of use the term cure very cautiously in certain um, cancers and melanoma is one of them. So, I do feel that, you know, you've Definitely made uh, uh, you have a very successful recovery, but still, I would still recommend regular checkups.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Really good
1: job. Nice story.
0: All right. Thanks for telling and sharing that with us, uh, Lisa. That's really important. A great way for us to end the show. It's been way too fast, Dr. Paul and Dr. Shane. We're going to have to do it again. There was quite a lot of interest in people wanting to know what's going on with their skin. And there's a lot more melanoma than I thought. I have to say, almost everybody who called in had some experience of melanoma.
1: I think it's important we have another – There, uh, you know, we talked earlier about how – this field has changed. So melanoma in the oncology world has become a very sexy disease. And it's because, so it's really attracting the bright minds at this point. Um, and people are knocking on the door to do more research. And it's because of mo- the molecular medicine and the advancement of uh, that field of medicine that's making it such that all these different Uh, treatments are uh, being uh, developed. So we definitely would be glad to come back.
0: All right. Well, that's a word that I'm going to take and hold you to. Again, thank you so much to Dr. Shane Morita from Queens and Jabson Medical School and Dr. Paul Palale from OnCare Hawaii, both proud members of the board of directors of our local chapter of the American Cancer Society. If you want to hear more about the event, you can go to hopegalahonolulu.org. You can also find more information on our Facebook page. If you'd like to hear the show again, hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show, and again, we're on Facebook. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week. We're going to talk about vegetarianism, as we mentioned earlier in the show. So I hope we have you as a listener. We'll see you then Monday at five. Thanks.